dear congregation, the theme for the sermon on this special occasion is Luther, the Reformation, and us. Luther, the Reformation, and us. Three thoughts. First, the need of reformation. Second, Luther's spiritual struggle. Luther's spiritual struggle. And third, Luther's discovery of justification by faith. So the theme is Luther, the Reformation, and us. First thought, the need of reformation. Second, Luther's spiritual struggle. And third, Luther's discovery of justification by faith. So first, the need of Reformation Day. October 31st. Now we all know October 31st is Reformation Day. It's not, first of all, for us, Halloween. No, it's Reformation Day. 506 years ago, October 31st, 1517. On that day, Luther wrote behind his desk the 95 Theses. And he hung them up, he nailed them at the door of the castle church in Wittenberg. And we all know of that moment. In retrospect, we mark that day, October 31st, 1517, the beginning of the Reformation. But actually, the Reformation is a process. It is not one moment. It's not one happening. The Reformation took a long time. It was a process during which the church was reformed. And why? Well, the church, and back at that time, there was just one church. They didn't know about uh, RCA and Heritage and NRC and whatever all these names are. Just one church, the Catholic Church, but that church had gone astray and fell seriously ill. Seriously ill. Let me name you a few things. First, there was the problem of indulgences indulgences. You've probably heard that word many times, but do you know what an indulgence is? Well, we have to begin here. The Roman Catholic Church distinguished between two kinds of sin. There were mortal sins. These were serious, grave sins, severe sins. And these sins deprive you from salvation. They result in hell, eternal punishment. So to do a mortal sin is indeed deadly, spiritually. But there were also a different kind of sins, and they call them, and they still call them so, Venial or minor sins. These are sins that hurt the relationship with God. And they even result in a temporal punishment of God. But you don't lose salvation. But you hamper. You're seriously, seriously hampered by minor sins. Well... For the forgiveness of these mortal sins, you needed the sacraments. By example, at baptism, the original sin was forgiven. 
But, but every sacrament, your sins were forgiven because grace was poured into you. You became righteousness through the sacraments. They were the means of receiving the righteousness of Christ. But the temporal punishment, so these minor sins, could also be forgiven in a different way. You could do a penance or prayers, possible store of superfluous, super, superfluous merit of the righteous saints. They did so many good works in their life. They had more than enough. So in heaven, there is a storeroom full of, full of superfluous merits deserved by many saints over time. Of course, the biggest contributor was Christ. But you had also Mary, the apostles, and many, many saints. Well, and here comes an indulgence. These merits, these merits, these superfluous merits, could be transferred to your account. So, when your account fell short, you could receive from the merits earned by other saints. And that transfer, of course, was effected by the church through the Pope. It was a kind of transfer of credits, of merits from one account to another account. And that is an indulgence. And such an indulgence could be brought with money. You just paid for it. Or you could receive an indulgence by visiting the many relics you could find all over in the Roman Catholic churches and monasteries. When you visited a relic, the time in purgatory was shortened. You received a forgiveness of sins. That was also an Indulgent. And these relics were things like peace of bonds from saints, wood from the cross, and all these kinds of things. And so the faithful, faithful back in those days went on pilgrimages to visit these relics all over the world or to buy indulgences at the market. Indeed, on the market. But there was, by example, Tetzel, a Dominican monk, Tetzel. And he was such a vendor, sent by the Pope. And he traveled from city to city, from village to village, to sell indulgences. So your time in purgatory was shortened. You maybe have heard of this famous saying from Tetzel, as soon as the coin in the coffer rings, the soul from purgatory spring. It was his saying. Well, this is, of course, a grave misunderstanding of God's word. Of course it was. I think that doesn't need any explanation. But, but a second misunderstanding back in those days of the Reformation was that the only secure way to salvation was to use the resources and the help of the church. Without the church, there was no salvation, no forgiveness of sins. You could only receive forgiveness of sins through the work of priests, the use of sacraments, or to undertake a pilgrimage to visit a relic, or to buy an indulgence from the church, and go on and go on and go on. What a serious error 
is this. A third error is that the church back in those days was so worldly, so corrupt. There was so much dishonesty and immoral behavior among the clergy, the priests. To give you an example, in Luther's days, there was a bishop named Albert of Brandenburg. Albert of Brandenburg. And he bought the position of the Archbishop of Mainz for 10,000 golden coins. He just bought a bishop position. But there was so much more. It was so dark in that time. The laity, the regular church-going people, were kept away from reading God's word because only the church was allowed to read and to interpret the word of God. The laity, the regular church people, would make mistake on mistake on mistake. What a grave and serious error this is. Another one, there were seven sacraments. Where do you find them in God's word? God's word clearly speaks only about two sacraments. Another error, these sacraments were administered not in a biblical way, but in a wrong way. Well, we can go on and go on and go on. It was dark at that time. Well, to come back to Luther, what was the reason that October 31st, 1517, he wrote these 95 theses? What was the reason that he posted them on the door of the chapel there, the church, the castle church in Wittenberg? Well, there were two reasons. The first was that Dominican monarch Tetzel went around all over Germany selling indulgences. And Luther knew that. And he became wholly angry. He was so angry. This was the first reason that he wrote these 95 theses. There was a second reason. The king of the area where Luther lived, that king was called Frederick the Wise. Frederick the Wise. He was the king of Saxony. But you have to know that he was a Roman Catholic believer, very pious. And he had spent years, many years, collecting many relics. He had bought them from all over the world, many, many relics. And his purpose was to make a depository of these holy relics in Wittenberg. And he was almost done with it. And the day after October 31st, so on November 1, he would announce that the people could visit the church there in Wittenberg and could visit all these relics to receive forgiveness of their sins to receive an indulgence. They made some calculations. All the relics gathered there in Wittenberg by Frederick the Wise were enough to receive a reduction in purgatory for yourself or for others for one million 902,202, 270 days. They just made exact calculations. And on the 1st of November, 1517, Frederick the Wise would proclaim that. And Luther knew this. And he was so upset and angry with the church and, of course, his king, that he wrote these theses. And he posted them there on the door. So one of the things that you read there is the Pope. It's a 
thesis, it's the sixth thesis. The Pope cannot remit any guilt, except by declaring and showing that it has been remitted by God. You see, the church was in big trouble. Was it the church? That's the question. A name, but the gospel was no longer proclaimed. And the people hardly didn't know about Jesus Christ. They were unknown with the Bible. They bought salvation. The times were spiritually so dark, and the people were misled by the church. So the church was in need of reformation. But before I move on to the second thought, we need reformation also in our days. The church is sick again. Some of the issues in our days are the same as in Luther's days. These five solas, you know all of them. We need them also today. We need to be constantly remembered, reminded of these solas. We need that constant reformation. But there are also other problems in our time different of nature than in Luther's time. We need continually, as a church and as a believer, to recalibrate the doctrines and the teachings of the church, the practices of the church, and the life of the church to God's word, of course, with the help of the Holy Spirit. And the five solas are still of tremendous importance, and they must be guarded. But in our time, it's probably more about the five tota, totus, totus. Totus means entire, whole, complete. What we need to hear today is not so much sola scriptura, but we need to hear, of course, we also need to hear that, but probably more Tota Scriptura. We need the entire Bible, including, for example, Genesis 1, 2, and 3. We need the entire Bible for our salvation, and not parts of it. It is nowadays what we need to hear, I think, is Tota Vita. Its salvation is about our entire life. It's not only about Sundays. It's also about our life at school, at work, at vacation. It's also about the ethical issues, things as think of issues as abortion or the gender issues. You see, in our time, we need to know that salvation is tota vita. It's about our entire life and not parts of it. In our days, it is about totum Deus. We need the whole triune God and to understand him in all his attributes, not only his goodness and love, but also his righteousness, his condemning righteousness, his wrath. And we need to know, and what we need today is totus. Christus, the whole Christ. Not only the victorious king, but also the suffering servant. You see, that's what we need today in our church. That kind of reformation. Tota scriptura, tota vita, totum Deus, totus Christus. That's what we need. May the Lord give us that in our days. But let's move on. Some words about Luther's spiritual struggle. Before Luther wrote these 95 theses and posted them at the gate, the door of that church in Wittenberg, there was a long process. So there was a long process that led up to that moment. Actually, it was one long spiritual struggle. In Luther's life for many years, 
he went through a deep, very deep, dark bit of spiritual struggle. And for many years, he couldn't see any light. And he couldn't understand the gospel. Not at all. You know, one thing is certain when you look to Luther and the Reformation. It is not primarily Luther's scholarship. Luther's understanding of the biblical truth that made him such a powerful instrument in God's hand. No. It was his personal discovery and personal experience of the living truth. And that made him such a mighty reformer. He lived through the biblical truth. So deep, so high, so wide. And that made him such a mighty man. And that makes us so lukewarm. Where is that depth in our days? Where is that height and that width? We need a revival and a reformation. You know what must happen in our life? It is what happened with Luther. We must die. We must die. And be made alive. And that death is on one hand a moment. That's right. And that be made alive is on one hand a moment. But on the other hand, it is a lifelong process of dying every day. Every day. And every day be made alive. Romans 1, verse 16 and 17 are well known to us. And they were of tremendous importance for Luther. Through Romans 1, verse 16 and 17, and other biblical texts, he came to the light. Well, Romans says there, I am not ashamed, and we hear Paul, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, the Jew first and also the Greek. For therein, in that gospel, is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. What do you hear here in this text? Of course, you say, Pastor, I hear gospel. I hear good news. Salvation, righteousness is by faith alone, nothing from myself, and all from Christ. Well, it's true. But Paul, uh, Luther didn't hear these things in Romans 1. You know what he heard? In Romans 1, verse 16 and 17, he heard doom. He heard condemnation. He heard hell. He heard God's wrath. That's what he heard here. Because he heard the word righteousness. By the way, did you ever hear that word righteousness? Not here with your mind, but with your heart. You know what Paul heard? He heard also the next verse, verse 18. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. And there is Luther, an unrighteous man. Luther met a righteous God in Scripture. And for him, a righteous God is a condemning God. Luther, no, I'm a sinner and God is right. So God will. He must condemn me. God, in his eyes, was angry with him. A consuming fire. Luther tried everything at his disposal. He used all means the church offered to seek forgiveness and to satisfy that angry God. But the more he tried, 
the more unrighteousness and sins he discovered in himself. The more he tried, the more he came to know God as a truly righteous God, unapproachable, a consuming fire. For years, he tried and tried and tried. He exclaimed, and I quote, hear his anguish. Is it not against all natural reason that God, out of his mere whim, deserts men, hardens them? He was thinking of election, and he didn't understand election. He ran up against election. God hardens, hardens, God damns, as if he delighted in sins and in such torments of the rest for eternity. He, of whom is said that he is of so much mercy and goodness. This appears iniquitous, cruel, intolerable in God. And many have been offended by this in all ages. Who would not be offended by such a God? I was myself more than once driven to the very abyss of despair so that I wished I had never been created. Love God? I hated him. This is true. He went through such a deep pit in getting to know his sins and standing before righteous God. And it took years before he heard the gospel and was set free. Luther's vigor preacher, his name is von Staupitz, came with a remedy. He probably didn't know that that remedy would work, but it worked. He told Luther, he saw that anguish of Luther, and he told him, Luther, take up your studies to get a doctor's degree in theology. Luther preached the word of God, timely and untimely. Luther teaches the Bible at the university as a professor. Luther study the word of God and teach the word of God. And indeed, this was the medicine, and it still is the medicine. Through all the studies and proclamations of the word of God, Luther came to an understanding that God is indeed a good God. He's righteous, yes, but he is also full of mercy. And that God is still the same. How much how often do we open God's word? How often do we study God's word? It is through the study, the reading, the study, and the meditating upon God's word that God works salvation. Romans is so clear about it. Psalm 19, scripture is so abundantly clear about it. Luther's life is an example of it. How did it work? In Luther's life. Well, Luther began, he began his uh, work as professor with lectures on the Psalms, 1513. He continued with the book of Romans, 1515. He dealt with Galatians in 1516 and 1517. And truly, the study of these Bible books was the medicine he needed, and it's the medicine we need. We need the word of God. That's God's given medicine. What did he discover in scripture? And all these things are so important for us. We need to hear them. Luther discovered, first of all, through the Psalms. Right? Because he studied the Psalms. He lectured in the Psalms. And he read Psalm 22. And that psalm, among other psalms, became so important for him. Through the study of the psalms, Luther discovered that the God of wrath is also a God of mercy. 
and that these two go together in Christ. And he discovered these things through the study of the Psalms. Psalm 22. Oh, Luther read Psalm 22 over and over. And he recognized himself in Christ's sufferings. These pains of hell is what Luther experienced. So we recognized Christ's way as his way, and his way as Christ's way. But, but Christ is so different from Luther and from us. Christ is without sin, pure, and not weak at all. Oh, Luther and we, we are sinners and we are weak. So that makes our sufferings understandable. But why did Christ suffer? The answer, there is only one answer. He took upon himself Luther's sins. Our sins, the sins of the world. That's what he did. And on the cross, Calvary's cross, God's wrath and God's mercy come together there in Christ's suffering. That cross is such a glorious moment. God's wrath appeased. God's mercy shone. This was the first thing that Luther understood. But there is still that question of righteousness, right? God was for Luther the God who condemned because he is righteous. In Luther's eyes, that God is righteous means that he punishes sins. So why is it that Paul writes in Romans, in the gospel is the righteousness of God revealed? How is it possible? And there was, by the way, another question. Paul writes in Romans 1, verse 17, the just shall live by faith. But what about our prevailing sin? And what about our good works? Because for Luther, faith was trust plus good works. But Luther came to an understanding of the truth by combining Romans 1, verse 16 and 17, the Psalms, Psalms like Psalm 37, 131, and many more, because he discovered that in the Bible, God's righteousness is not only a condemning righteousness, but also a saving righteousness. And suddenly, Luther understood, yes, God condemns unrighteousness, but he also saves in his righteousness. That's what he learned from the Psalms. And he understood the secret is in Christ. Christ is righteous. Later on, he understood, because Luther knew Greek and Hebrew, and he understood that in Greek, the word used for what, what in English is, is righteousness or justification or justice, these words. In Greek, it is diakosune, diakosuna, and that means to declare righteous and not to make righteous in a long process. That's what the Roman Catholic Church preached. You are made righteousness, right? By buying indulgences, by visiting these relics by partaking in the sacraments, and you're made righteous again and again. And then suddenly Luther understood. But righteousness is something that we perceive. We are counted righteous. We, we are imputed with Christ's righteousness. Suddenly Luther began to understand the biblical truth. And then faith. He suddenly realized that faith is trust and trust alone. It is not faith plus my feeling, faith plus my understanding, faith plus good works. Faith 
ist Trost. And Luther's eyes were opened for the justification by faith. I am declared righteous, not made righteous, declared by faith alone in Christ. He combined all these things and he understood the full truth. And he writes, then finally God had mercy on me. I began to understand that the righteousness of God is a gift. It's not something we do. It's a gift of God by which a righteous man lives. Faith. It's all about faith. And that sentence, the righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel, is passive. Indicating that the merciful God justifies us by faith. As it is written, written, the righteous shall live by faith. Now I felt as though I had been reborn altogether and had entered paradise. Just as intensely as I had hated the expression, the righteousness of God, now I lovingly praised that same word. That passage of Paul became to me the very gate to paradise. Counted righteousness without anything from my side. Through faith, that heartfelt trust in Christ. It's Christ alone. You see, he entered paradise after all these years that felt for him as hell. That's what he says. Oh, how important it is, dear congregation, that all these truths become for us living truth. We do, not all need, we do not all need to have the exact same experience as Luther. He went through such deep times. And he was lifted up to such great heights. God goes a unique way with all his people, but we will all learn the same things. We will all learn that we indeed, righteously, uh, that, God will, that God must condemn us because of our sins. And we all will learn that there is a full salvation, imputed righteousness through faith in Christ. We all learn the same things. Well, Luther's life, we are almost at the end of this short sermon tonight, changed dramatically. Changed so dramatically. And in 1520, Three years later, he wrote three important treatises. I would like to mention and to quote one of them. Um, highly recommended to read. It's just uh, it's something like 100 pages. It's nothing. The name of the treatise is, you can download it for free on the internet. The Freedom of a Christian. It's such an amazing book in which Luther opens... The, the, what, what he finds in Scripture and the riches in Scripture, the freedom of a Christian. He writes in it a long quote, but try to listen to it. That's the last thing for this sermon. Please listen to these words. They are amazing. Not only does faith bestow so much that the soul, like the divine word, is filled with grace and is free and blessed. But, now it comes. The soul is united with Christ. Through faith, right? As a bride with her bridegroom. The result of this marriage is, according to Ephesians 5, that Christ and the soul, that dirty soul, that that soul are one body. And therefore, they hold everything they possess 
the good and the bad things in common. What Christ possesses belongs to the believing soul here. What the soul has, our soul, belongs to Christ. So if Christ has all good things and blessedness, they belong to the soul. If the soul, my soul, right, has all vice and sin, they become Christ's possession. This takes place as a joyous exchange and encounter because Christ is God and a human being who has never sinned. And because his upright character is unassailable, eternal, almighty, he takes possession of the sin of the believing soul with her bridal ring that is exchanged, which is faith. That bridal ring that is exchanged between Christ and the soul is faith. And he acts in no other way than that he himself had committed my sin. Thus the sin must be devoured and drowned by him. For his unassailable righteousness is too strong. Thus the soul is free and clear of all sin for the sake of faith. Simply because of the betrothal gift from the bridegroom. That is because of faith. And the soul is given the eternal righteousness of a bridegroom Christ. Is that not a joyous transaction? When the rich, noble, upright bridegroom Christ takes the poor, contemptible, evil, little whore in marriage, takes away all the evils he has, and adorns her with every good thing. So it is not possible that sin condemns her. For she lies now on Christ and is consumed by him. Thus she has true righteousness in her bridegroom, so that she can stand against all sin, although the sins certainly lie upon her. Paul speaks of this in 1 Corinthians 15. Thanks and praise to God, who has given us such a victory in Christ Jesus, in whom death is swallowed up along with sin. Dear congregation, let us strive for Luther's discovery of the throne to become and remain in the living truth as well. That all these things will become and remain a living truth for us as well. Amen. Seek the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank thee for thy word. From Romans, from the Psalms. We thank thee, Lord, for this example of Luther's life, for the discovery by thy Holy Spirit in the time of the Reformation. Oh, Lord, may we come to know the same things. May we experience the same truth. Our sin, but by faith, imputed righteousness of Christ. O oh Lord, grant us with that faith. Lord, forgive our sins in listening, in preaching, in praying, in singing. Help us. Go with us. Give us travel mercies. And we ask thee to bring us back later. Lord, hear our prayer and receive our thanks. In the name of thy Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, let us sing... Psalter 128, that's Luther's hymn, Psalm, Psalm 46, Psalter 128, stanzas 1, 2, and 3, the Lord of hosts. <laughs>
Lift up your hearts to God and receive the blessing of the Lord. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. Amen.